How to win a bar fight and practice diplomacy while negotiating a bounty on your head. From Civil Wars, Whistleblower Tactics, Schematic Drafting, and the Finer Points of Sith Adoption, The Essential How-To Guide for the Engineering Jedi, by Jack Daw read by Sam Gabriel, based on the works of George Lucas. Content warnings available in description. Chapter 14 Guards me against that which would seek harm. If he had thought that the Redstones felt a lot like home, then for all intents and purposes the underground was home. Crowded and dirty and ramshackle and alive, the underground was full with all the things that he remembered from home that weren't immediately related to sand and searing heat. Shops selling everything from weapons to outer rim livestock to what clearly weren't various food additives, to specialty shops full of ritual items, to um, evening services advertising themselves without shame or fear, and people were clearly buying. Quaddy was still spoken now and again, but Huddy's Rill and Bocce took clear priority and were heard everywhere he turned. The air was alive with the force of emotions experienced by the thousands of souls gathered here, whispering, murmuring, singing with power both hidden and overt. Sons, you could see why Valmora had been so excited to bring them here. Chitamaske was beautiful, no doubt about it, but this, this was home. Or at least something so close to it that he never would have dared think he would be able to find it on a core world. Brushing up against where his charge's presences were still curled up within his wings, he noted with pleasant surprise that while there was a healthy sense of apprehension and wariness, there was a distinct sense of wonder and excitement there too echoing Valmora's own infectious demeanor that shone and bubbled like crystalline water as they headed into the underground. He was sure that she would have already rushed straight into what he suspected were her regular stopping grounds if he hadn't stopped her, but suns and sand, it was hard enough running this flight already. He didn't need one of his charges rushing off into the crowd and getting separated, no matter how well at home she was here. Although he guessed that if there was going to be any place where Valmora and Lachmere split off from them, he would be it. That was an unexpectedly conflicting thought to deal with. On the one hand, it would be safer and wiser for them to part, and he trusted that his charges knew their way around their hometown well enough that they would be safe from the roaming bands of hunters. And if not that, then they would be able to defend themselves with both their own weapons and newly acquired ones. It would certainly be safest for them, and, well, that was the duty of a runner, was it not? To see one's charges to safety, no matter the potential cost to oneself. But on the other... They had been invaluable to the safety of his other charges so far. That, and he found that he really didn't want to part ways so soon again. Each parting with his charges meant letting them leave his wings again, and the inevitable severing the ties that let him check in on them while in flight as they left his territory, and it was awful, horrible, miserable every time. But it was necessary. His charges had destinies far beyond him, and it was a requirement of his role even beyond that, once a flight was through, he and his charges parted ways forever to reduce the risk for them to be tracked as they built or rebuilt new lives for themselves. But suns and sand if it didn't hurt something awful every single time. Luke sighed, rolling his shoulders and handily dodging out of the way of a grasping hand of a particularly ambitious pickpocket while shooting them a vicious glare. He supposed that it was rather fortunate that it wasn't a decision left to him either way, 
Lachmere and Valmora would decide for themselves if this was where they parted ways, or if they remained with him, all he would have to do was accept it like he always did. Sons, he hated this part of his role, and if there was one thing he wished he could change, it was this. It was worth it, though. It always was, to later see them at the bells, maskless and merely the nephew of a few moisture farmers from the area instead of, well... Where to, Valmora? He asked over his shoulder, while politely threatening a leering thug away from a very uncomfortable alun by flashing the light of a nearby string of party lights into their eyes on the blade of his knife. To Crosshair's way station, Wraith, she replied with a bounce in her step. They provide transportation around the underground at a price, and I know somewhere there who can help us. That was the back, where the trains used to come in. Any other useful places while we're here? he asked, because sons... If there was ever a place where they would be able to get what they, or rather he, admittedly needed, it would be here. For the flight? she answered with a question, leaning in over his shoulder in a whisper. Or just in general? The flight for now, he replied back, tilting his head slightly. But I might take you up on that other one, should I get the chance. Had trouble getting the right and good stuff away from the desert? she asked with a knowing tone, to which Luke only had to reply with a significant look to get her to chuckle. Nothing for the flight, Wraith. But if you need anything else, I know the people around it to get it. They're good folk, most of them. And they'll only try to fleece you for the usual mock-up, even if you're a stranger to them. Really now? Huh. He guessed that being in the core made people more honest about their wares, or at least less willing to try and lose business. He'd have to see if he could stock up on the things he had to leave behind, or not realized he'd miss while packing for his new career back home. For now, though, the flight beckoned. Maddy set course for the back of the underground, bypassing a vendor who was looking rather eager to trap him into potentially buying what seems to be a carpet made out of spun, dyed, and knotted banthifer. Sons, it really was just like home. While walking, he carefully kept all his charges close behind him, surreptitiously gesturing to them all to stick close, placing his claim over all of them, and hopefully keeping a bunch of the more unsavory figures he could spot in the crowd at bay. Emphasis on the word hopefully, since apparently not everyone was quick to catch the message. Howlers and whistles rang out from the seating area of a street-side bar, loud, raucous, and more than a little tipsy. He shot the patrons, who were making lurid gestures towards him and his charge as a caustic look, the air around him hissing with warning as he pointedly unsheathed his knife and let them catch a glimpse of him, keeping it at ready underneath his cloak. The warning apparently wasn't enough for one particular man. As when Alun passed just a little too close to the seating area, he leaned out from his seat and grabbed the prince by the arm. Alun let out a yelp, alarm flaring high up all around him, and Luke promptly snarled at the man in warning and bared his teeth, flashing his knife. Pack off my charges, he snarled, voice dangerously low, and layering threat upon promise upon threat into his voice. Oh, relax, stranger. The man slurred in Huddy's while attempting to pull in an unwilling Alun who was pulling back with increasing desperation while attempting to pry the man's hand off of his arm. So, surely, you can spare one of them beauties for the rest of us? It would be a shame to waste all those pretty eyes on just one... Another aggravating hiccup. One guy. Come on, sweetheart. He addressed an utterly revolted Alun, whose frantic pulling had escalated to the point of dislodging his scarf. What did he pay you? I'll double it. That was it. In a blink, he was by the prince's side, with his knife pressing firmly up to the man's throat, grabbing the offending limb by the wrist and pulling it into overextension. 
grimacing as the stench of strong alcohol wafted off the man's breath. Beady eyes widened as the situation registered in his drunken mind, and Luke pressed the knife just a touch closer. I don't believe you heard me the first time, he hissed in unease, softly dangerous, and only just loud enough that all the bar patrons would be able to hear it drift in the air, and he was gratified when he started tasting wariness and the first hints of fear in the air. Back off from my charges. He pressed the knife a little closer with each word, and saw the first drops of blood start to drip down the man's throat. Slowly, with a swallow that drew even more blood from the shallow graves, the man relinquished his grip on Alon, who did the wise thing and immediately ducked behind him, frightfully clutching to his upper arm and visually reinforcing the claim that Luke had just staked on him. A tense moment passed as the drunk man slowly held up his hands in surrender before the bartender decided to step in, slowly placing something back down under the bar counter with a soft thump and bringing up her empty, open hands. He's in now, stranger, an older Duro said in hotties while holding them up in a placating manner as Luke began to slowly back up from the surrendering man. I understand the impulse and appreciate the action, but you really don't want to cut this idiot unless you have the result to back it up. Considering that he's fresh off of taking out a Trandoshin and a Falin on the way here who tried the same shit that guy did, Vamora called out behind him, and Luke didn't dare interrupt her tirade in fear of breaking the tense upper hand he was maintaining on a silken thread. I'd say he's got plenty, Madame Harooks. The Duro, Madame Harooks, blinked twice at Valmora and then Lachmere behind her. Val? she asked. Lachmere? What are you two doing with this stranger? She glanced at him, eyes asking for permission, and he made a quick gesture inquiring after the trust she had in this individual. Val hesitated for a moment, before making the gesture of family back, and this time it was Luke blinking in brief surprise before inclining his head in permission. Family could be trusted. Valmora promptly turns to the bartender again and sighed deeply. Trying to get some poor souls through the city and away from their hunters, madame? She suddenly revealed in Kerala, uncharacteristically cold and severe. Just like what was done for your daughter, she finished, indicating Luke with a twitch of her leku, and well, wasn't that interesting. Madame Harooks went entirely still, slowly scanning her red eyes over Luke and his charges before nodding slowly. Right, next idiot to try the same stuff Mato did pays 50% extra on their tab, she said, voice distant while she locked eyes with Luke holding his gaze and slowly dipping her head in respect, and he wasn't going to lie. That was new. A few of the patrons promptly began voicing their complaints with Madame Harooks's new rule, and her attention was drawn back to them, snapping out that if they didn't like it, she could just add on the 50% now. The argument got worse, and with the bar patrons thoroughly distracted once she got fed up and began laying down the law of her bar, Luke figured that it was as good a moment as any to disappear from the scene. Softly clicking his tongue twice to draw the attention of all his charges and let them know they'd be going on the move again, he waited until he could feel all six of their attention back on him and clicked his tongue again, promptly backing away quietly while drawing a storm shield tightly around them all. He might have stepped in to help out the madame as the argument began to escalate even further, but a scream rang out from behind him, and glancing back it revealed that Haruksent pulled out an electric stun baton from under the counter and was repeatedly whacking one of her patrons with it while it crackled with electricity, the man cowering under her fierce glare and loud insults while wincing in pain. 
The rest of the patrons were leaning far away from the unfortunate sod and doing their damnedest to appear entirely unaffiliated with the man. He figured that she had everything under control. With his charges in tow, he quickly spirited them away from the bar before finding a quiet spot that would do for a short break. In a corner between two huts that was likely meant as a back entrance, he ushered in all his charges while methodically checking over each of their presences, trying not to lose his cool. The moment they were safe, though. Is everyone all right? He muttered the moment they were out of immediate sight, taking special stock of Alun as he sifted through the prince's presence. No one injured or... I'm fine, Alun immediately said, far too hasty to be genuine and with his voice cracking towards the end as he began to pull his scarf back in order, fingers fumbling around the fabric. It was... it was nothing. Even without seeing how desperately Alun was trying to tamp down the feeling of being violated, Luke would have known that his charge wasn't, as he claimed, fine. Your Highness, he sighed quietly, and Alun shook his head. It was nothing, Alun repeated, a little more forceful, even as he couldn't look anyone in the eye, clutching his arms in front of him and hunching his shoulders. Just a, a, a drunk getting too loose with his hands, and... He paused and shook his head, as if attempting to dislodge the feeling of violation that was still bubbling up to the surface. It was nothing, he whispered again, and Luke wondered who the prince truly was trying to convince with that line. An unknown man grabbed you by the arm without your consent and clear lewd intentions, Luke corrected gently but firmly. That is not nothing, your highness, and I regret not being able to get you out of that situation faster. He hesitated for a moment before deciding that if he didn't address it, Alon most certainly wouldn't. It's normal to feel shaken after such an experience. The volatile situation promptly exploded. As Alun glared with blazing anger at him, eyes wild and furious as the air around him burst into flame with his fury. I am not weak, Alun hissed at him, baring his teeth for the first time since Luke had known him like a cornered animal, and for a moment he thought he might lash out like one too, but... Of course you aren't, Quidden suddenly piped up. Arms crossed and a hard look in his eyes, but with sincerity wrapped around every word that left his mouth like a blessing. No one here thinks that you're weak, Alun. Especially not for this. He huffed out of breath and tossed his head, hood sagging backwards a little. We might think a lot of other things about you, he admitted, and Luke shot him a dirty look for the skirting of his vow. But none of them are relevant to this situation, or make us think any less of you, Quinn finished. Uh, what Quinn said... Zeph piped up, presence and eyes reflecting Quinn's own hardness. None of us think less of you for being shaken by that creep, he spat. Hell, I'm pretty sure we were pretty shaken by that, too. I know I was, Tyrion admitted in a near whisper, shaking lightly. It was scary to see that happen like that. I didn't, he sighed out of breath. I don't think I would have been able to do anything to help. I felt so frozen. And I wasn't even in the situation. Don't think I would have been able to either, Zev admitted quietly. No, I just froze. He shrugged his shoulders helplessly while shaking his head, shame welling up within him and spilling out into the surroundings. Sorry, Alan. It seemed that whatever reaction the prince had expected, it certainly hadn't been this. As he stared at them all openly, vulnerability shining through the cracked façade for the first time and for a moment... For a moment, Luke had to wonder. The flash of vulnerability was hastily hidden away again behind the well-crafted facade of arrogance and indifference, but with cracks in it large enough for Luke to easily see through. It wouldn't shield him this time. 
It's just a stupid situation, a unprotected voice cracking. I should have just, I should have just fought back, but I... He shook his head, breath shuddering. I had weapons, he muttered, voice impossibly small and lost. Why didn't I fight back? Thalmora sighed loudly and stepped forward, slumping against the wall next to Alun. Because it's never that easy, she muttered while crossing her arms, glancing sideways at the prince. I take it that was the first time something like that happened to you? she asked, sighing again when Alun refused to meet her glare. Thought so, she muttered. Or else you wouldn't be asking that? Luke grimaced as he realized what was about to happen. Valmora, a sudden growl interrupted quietly, purple eyes meeting the red ones of her partner dead on like they'd almost never had during her own flight. Lakmir looked at her with a certain kind of sadness before breathing in deeply. Are you sure? she asked quietly. And Valmora smiled grimly at her. It won't go away just because I never talk about it, Lucky. She answered with a shrug she didn't feel and a wry grin. And this one seems like he needs it. Lackmere considered that answer for a moment until resolve quietly formed within her, stepping forward and next to her partner in quiet support. Thalmora promptly made use of it as she grabbed Lackmere's hand before looking down at Alun's hunched form. You want to know why you didn't fight back? She asked. Not a hint of mockery or sarcasm in her voice as she looked at the young prince. For the same reason I didn't. Fear. All eyes promptly swiveled over to her with the reveal of that little tidbit, and she laughed at their surprise, only slightly bitter. Lackmere rumbled out a concerned sound, but Valmora waved her off. Look, she said, addressing Alun evenly but kindly. There's probably no one here who will understand this better than I do, kid. You know who I was before the wraith sprung us out. When her question was met with a mute shake of Elan's head, she huffed out a breath, tipping her head back against the wall she was leaning against. I was a dancer for Jabba's own personal amusement, she revealed bitterly. The old anger at her former master, a familiar one that Luke had heard in the voices of countless slaves and freed alike. Valmora's answer, though, was one that Luke found perhaps the one born of the greatest cruelty and injustice. Of course, she continued. Chaba was about as interested in my dancing as he was in more vulgar things. Oh, too much. She gritted out between teeth clenched in anger before slumping in a tired sigh. And I ask myself the same thing you so often did every time. Why didn't I fight back? That isn't, isn't the same, Alan mumbled, still not looking at her and vastly uncomfortable, but also reluctantly curious and strangely hopeful. You can't. That's not comparable. Maybe not, Thalmora agreed. And I don't think we should even try when it comes to circumstance. But the feelings we felt certainly are, and don't deny it. I can recognize that look of yours anywhere, and even my trunk. There was a confidence and truth woven through that assertion that told Luke that wasn't just hyperbole or conjecture, 
but bitterly learned experience. Frankly, he feared to know what that experience was. You're asking yourself, why didn't I fight back? She stated quietly. So let me take away the mystery. Because you were afraid? And because your instincts chose freeze instead of fight or flight? Alan's face finally shot up to meet hers, equal parts indignant at being perceived and unwillingly grateful for it. Let's face facts, kid, she muttered ruefully, meeting those conflicted eyes head on. That guy was twice your size, and even when drunk was more than strong enough to overpower you while you were trying to pull yourself free. I doubt you've ever been in a real fight before either, so you don't even have the fighting instincts to get out of a scrap like that. She huffed out a resigned sound, crossing her arms while still not letting go of Lachnir's hand. You were about as capable of fighting that guy with whatever weapon you had as I was capable of fighting Jabba while having a bomb implanted in my stomach. That doesn't make you weak, she stated firmly. That makes that guy an asshole for trying anything and not taking no for an answer. Well said, ma'am, Quinn nodded firmly. But Alun was shaking his head already. Sir could fight him, he insisted quietly. But I, and that was quite enough. I could fight him because I was trained for it, your highness, he countered gently. Fighting on behalf of those who can't is my role and job. I'm trained for these kinds of situations and have encountered dozens upon dozens of them. If I may make a comparison, it's like asking why a person who's just entered flight school can't just hop in a tie and take off because the certified pilot of five years can do it. It's a matter of experience and training, not strength and weakness. He huffed slightly when Alun looked at him like he'd never seen him before, a niggling realization beginning to eat away within the prince. Small, inconspicuous, and new enough that he doubted the prince had even realized it was there yet, but its presence was undeniable. You're not weak for being unsettled and feeling infringed upon after the incident, he insisted quietly backed up by the firm nodding of the others. I did not know where you got that idea, but I can assure you it's a lie, and a rather poor one, too. Damn right, Zeb muttered mutinously. That's not how any of that works, and I did not sit through years of law and social courses for someone to tell me otherwise. Force damn it all. Luke snorted at his friend's assertion, and even Alon gave a shaky smile at the cranky mutterings of his future secretary, while Quinn gained a slowly widening grin and a telltale spark of mischief in his eyes. I don't know, bro, he said, faux thoughtfully. There's this one theory that comes from one doctor- Don't, Sev hissed. Even finish that sentence, Quinn, or I swear. No, no, I'm pretty sure that it was a theory going around in somewhat respected academics. Quinn insisted with a rapidly growing grin, and Zev growled at his friend in offense before launching into a small soapbox spiel about legal issues and social theories while Quinn played devil's advocate. Soon enough, Tyrion joined in with small tidbits of quat law specifically, sending Zev into another tangent about it all, and he rolled his eyes as Valmora joined in with Quinn in egging Zev on. All joking aside, though, he whispered to Alonmo as other charges continued their debate. 
Are you all right, your highness? It spoke something of how far the prince's facade had fallen, and that he wasn't immediately snarled off with hackles raised defensively high, and only met with a reflexive glare that was quickly averted. No, he admitted eventually, quietly enough that Luke doubted even Alun knew whether or not he truly wanted him to hear. But this is better. I'm glad to hear it, he returned with a smile. Proud the prince may be, and incredibly rude, too, with a cruel streak that was as concerning as it was aggravating. But he was a charge, and even besides that, he was a person. A person who'd had and was still having what could very well be one of the worst days of his life. We'll pull through, your highness, he promised quietly. And if not us, then you. I'll make sure of it. Alan nodded silently, seemingly deep in thought, even as he occasionally glanced sideways at Luke, and seemed like he wanted to say something before closing his mouth again. Luke waited patiently for him to gain the courage to speak up again, watching his charges have the rare chance to bicker and blow off some steam on a meaningless, low-stakes argument. In fact, he was chuckling along when Zev made one especially indignant retort, nearly missing it when Alun quietly whispered something. Cory, Alun muttered, so quiet that even without the rowdiness of his charges, Luke might have missed it. What? he asked. I'm sure he'd heard it right. Cory, Alun repeated, barely any louder and shifting in discomfort. It's my name. The one I actually use, that is. He heaved in a shuddering breath. It, it's usually used by, by, by my, by, by people who know me well. If you want, you can use it. Luke could admit he was left rather stunned by Alun's, by Corey's offer. Blinking at the prince... He couldn't even pretend that this offer was simple or idle in any given form. Alun, Cory, Alun, the prince was, well, there was no denying that he was a proud, proud young man who took a great amount of satisfaction and self-worth from being superior to all those around him. The name Cory didn't exactly reflect that kind of superiority. In fact, he'd term it to be the exact opposite, being something that spoke of a childhood nickname that came with all the dignity that implied, but a lot of love in its place. Something to allow the use of to a few, and then only those trusted few. It was an offer of friendship. He wasn't blind to that. But it was an offer that had all of the pretenses and facades stripped away, unlike the first two. This was Cory, offering friendship, not Cormus Alun, prince and admitted bully. And to Luke, at least, that made all the difference. I would be honored to, Cory, he muttered back, smiling warmly at his new friend. He wouldn't stop checking Cory's crueler behavior or excusing it, but this, this was a start. And it was always easier to make a start into something new and good if you had a friend to help you out. Corey smiled back at him, and for the first time, Luke could truly see the person beneath the facade. The smile didn't last, 
Corey's face dropping back into something somber and thoughtful, but it was enough. There would hopefully be time later in any case to see if he could learn more about that person instead of the haughty prince. I missed hearing that name, Corey admitted in a bare whisper. I don't... it's, it's, it's not... The Academy isn't the wisest place to use it, he admitted. And ever since the others became my protectors, they haven't used it either. Why not? Luke asked, because really he'd thought the bonds between Corey and his apparently protectors were odd in construction, but he hadn't expected that it precluded anything like this. Because they're not supposed to be my friends, Corey explained bitterly. We were once, but when they were old enough to start training for their roles as protector and I as mine for prince, well, that was when we all had to leave behind any notions of childishness and step into the roles that would be required of us. He sighed. Which meant letting go of things that would get in the way of them, too. Like being friends? Luke asked incredulously. Why? Corey gave him an odd look that plainly stated it ought to have been obvious. Because they're from lower-ranked duchies, obviously. It wouldn't be proper for a prince to be friends with heirs of those kinds of territories. But they're still more than high enough in the ranks to be proper protectors. It was forgivable as children, but once we were old enough we had to grow up and out of those notions. Of all the asinine core world... Corey, I'm going to be honest with you, he told his new friend flatly. That's some grade-A bullshit. Well, perhaps that was just a tad too blunt. But he stood by his statement even as Corey blinked in surprise. No going back now, he guessed. He sighed and gestured for his new friends to turn around and lower his hood, deciding that he may as well do this while fixing Corey's loosened scarf. Look he said, while taking the two lengths of cloth in hand and beginning the process of rewrapping them around the head. I don't know much about this system you have of protectors and princes. That's not something I ever had to deal with back home, nor was it something I was interested in, but I do know this. You can't measure a person's worth by their blood or birth. You can only do so by their name. No matter how impressive or humble everything else people will always remain constructs of how they grow. And that's not something that can be determined with anything but time. He pulled the fabric taut and completed a second loop, catching Corey's eyes as he tilted his head to the sides to get the cloth around. Do you really believe that your protectors haven't grown into people worthy of being your friends? It was a challenge he was making to Corey's worldview. So when the prince stayed quiet on the matter, Luke didn't press it and merely continued wrapping the scarf. Maybe something would come of it, or maybe it would be nothing, but there was a seed planted now. And with the circumstances of the flight having thoroughly broken through Corey's facade, maybe it would be enough to take root. Depending on who Corey had grown to be, it could be enough. And if it wasn't, well, he had another month to try and plant more. Maybe something could come of it, maybe. The first step in either case had been made. The rest would be up to Corey.
to see what he wanted to make of it. Pulling the scarf into place and tilting Cory's head this way and that, he let his question hang in the air while the prince mulled on it, busying himself instead with working through his task at hand, folding and wrapping and tucking the pleasant light gray scarf into something that would both protect and hide the face without sacrificing comfort. A simple head wrap, really, and one he'd often worn daily whenever the winds made themselves known throughout the wastes. Folding in one edge under Corey's right ear, he was so engrossed in his work and keeping an eye on his furiously debating charges that he almost didn't expect it when Corey spoke up again. They are, he answered quietly. And Luke pressed his mouth into a thin line at the sheer defeat in the tone it was said with, grief and loss welling up from deep within Corey and settling around him like a mourning veil. He was. It was a cruelty, Luke thought, while tucking in the edge firmly and overlaying it with another, that one should only get to draw that conclusion after all that was left to do was to honor their spirit. Well, he said softly, trying to offer his charge as much comfort as he could, and drawing him deeper within his wings. It's never too late to honor his memory as that of a dear friend. He tucked in the final edge and stepped back, meeting Corey's somber eyes with his own. Durham will be with you, as long as you remember him. And within that memory, he'll live eternal. Whether it be as your protector, your friend, or both, it's your choice to make the rights for the memory you honor. It was both surprising and not to see Corey's eyes glimmering in the dim light of the underground with unshed tears. Unsurprising in the depths of grief he was experiencing, surprising in the fact that he would allow such a vulnerability to be seen. I miss him, Corey admitted in a whisper, hand wiping at the unshed tears. I'm sorry, Luke said, stepping closer and offering a sense of physical comfort that was quietly accepted as Corey leaned into his side the slightly shorter stature of his charge facilitating the not-quite-hunk easily enough. I can't say it'll get easier with any guarantee, but grief is a beast that ages and dulls its teeth with time. He hesitated for a moment before adding, And having friends and family there for you helps starve it out all the quicker. That doesn't help now, though, Corey noted with bitterness and Luke couldn't help the sad little smile that tugged at his mouth. No, he admitted quietly, the names of too many friends and charges from over the years whispering around him. It doesn't. For now, I'm afraid that all you can do is weather the pain. Corey leaned heavily into the offered comfort, and Luke carefully wrapped an arm around the grief-stricken prince. It's not fair, he croaked out brokenly, and Luke could only hold him through it. It's not, he agreed quietly. It's not, but it's the hand that's been dealt. Corney shook his head, grief impressing itself dark and heavy into the air surrounding him. It should have been me, he whispered, 
Diran would disagree, he pointed out gently. If his drive to protect was anything like mine, he would never regret this for even a moment. Something he couldn't know, but the burdens of the dead should not be carried by the living. If Diram was a protector like he was, then he wouldn't have minded dying for his charge. And if the state Luke had found his body and said anything, that was the truth, or something very close to it. He sighed. If nothing else, he added in a murmur, by living you can honor his sacrifice and keep his memory alive. Mother and father wouldn't approve, Coy rebutted quietly. Tyrion was, was lower class. They wouldn't allow. They won't approve. Are you going to let that stop you? Luke asked pointedly, raising an eyebrow and tilting his head pointedly when Corny turns to look at him. It's not that easy, Corey dismissed with a shake of his head. He hummed deep in his throat in agreement. Maybe that's what makes it worth it, he pointed out, only to receive a surprised look. Luke huffed out a laugh. Don't you think I of all people would know that defying a lifelong authority is one of the hardest things to ask of someone, he asked quietly, giving his new friend a rueful grin. The way I see it, you can either follow your parents in this and honor Deerham as they would want, or you can defy them and honor him as you would want, while setting a precedent for the living too, regardless of the fact that Deerham and your other protectors are of a lower class. And if I don't want to choose, Corey returned hollowly. And Luke could see where he was going with that, but he hadn't come this far in his life by not exploring the third option. Well then, he mused, regarding the prince who was wearing defeat and grief like a leaden cloak. I suppose you'll have a lot of work ahead convincing your parents, won't you? And that, that finally seemed to spark something in Corey. Looking up at him like he'd never seen Luke clearly before this very moment, something burst to life within the dark haze of grief and loss. Something small, something fragile, and something powerful enough that it shone out of the darkest of times nonetheless. He smiled lightly at his new friend while inclining his head. Something to think about, he offered before turning back to the bickering group of his other charges who were just preaching the point of the social dynamics as formed by the inherent instability of a system formed from and by exploitation. All right, he said loudly clapping his hands together and promptly drawing all eyes over to him. Break time's over, and I hope you all got that out of your system, as no more arguing will be tolerated from this point in. Sorry, sir, Quinn promptly answered, snapping off a salute that was just this side of unprofessional, and Luke rolled his eyes as the others promptly followed suit with their own salutes, breathing in deeply when even a deeply amused Falmora and Lackmere joined in. I'll take it, he retorted flatly while crossing his arms. All of you back in formation. Hop to it. He turned behind him and smiled at the young prince, who was looking both at the ensuing chaos and far more composed than he had a minute ago, that spark still burning steadily within him. You too, Cory. he ordered with a smile. We need to get going again, I'm afraid. He received a small smile in return, eyes crinkling at the corners, and a firm nod. I understand, sir. 
he said, no hesitation in his voice, and, surprisingly, with his facade remaining far out of sight, I'm ready. Yes, he did believe the young prince was indeed ready. Then let's move out again, he called out, walking to the front of the group and loosening his shoulders with a roll in preparation, falling back into a pretensive stance and hair-trigger alert that would let him claim all his charges as his own in the eyes of the residents here. With a bit of luck, it would prevent another one of those instances. Though we supposed that, for all that was awful about it, at least they'd managed to find a silver lining. Corey fell back into his position in the formation, ready to go again and seeming to have recovered in large part from the awful experience he'd just had, though he didn't doubt that they would be dealing with some residual trauma from it once they were back into a safe environment. That would be later, though, for now with all his charges back into a reasonable state of mind, it was back to the flight path still ahead of them, and any danger that might come with it. Peeking out of the small back entrance path they'd stashed themselves in and scanning their surroundings for any dangerous, or, well, specifically dangerous, elements, Luke clicked his tongue sharply twice and stepped back out into the bustling, perpetually twilight streets of the underground. Crosshair's way station was their next step, and sons he was going to get them there, come what may. Now then, Valmora had said the place they were looking for was towards the back of the underground, where the trains had once come in. Setting off in that direction, Luke wove his way around a cart hauling along an old, defunct speeder that had the engineer in him looking to take a look at it, but which he regretfully had to pass by in favor of focusing on the flight. Anything else we should know about Crosshair's way station, Valmora? He asked behind him, still scanning the lively crowd for any potential further complications. Just that while the owner is a surly son of a bitch, he has an assistant who's far less so, she answered in turn. She's Madame Harux's adopted daughter, who took pity on the old geezer and now helps him out around there. Between you and me, Wraith, I think that by now she's the one who's actually been running this shop. She paused for a moment, and in that moment Luke suddenly felt an unexpected amount of dread as he could have sworn something was laughing at him. You also may or may not recognize her, she admitted at last, and for one blissful second Luke had no idea what she was talking about. Then there was the realization. Feeling his heart nearly skip a beat, he reached out into his surroundings, senses sharp enough with how far he'd dropped into his runner's mindset that he immediately knew it wasn't a trick of his senses when he felt that strange fainter than faint echo of a connection that brushed at the frayed edges of where there had once been a soul tucked securely into his wings. He knew it wasn't a trick, though perhaps some part of him wanted it to be with how much he'd already been deviating from proper flight procedure this flight. Another one of his ex-charges, safe and sound on Quat in an entirely new life, one that he apparently would have to come crashing into uninvited and probably unwanted, since it was, according to Valmora and without a lie spoken, the way to navigate the underground, unless... Valmora, he asked, while a plan began to form. Yes, Wraith, she answered, sounding entirely too eagerly innocent for all the chaos she'd already wrought on his life by dragging up all those ridiculous old stories again for an audience who'd been blissfully ignorant of them so far. No telling her who I am, he ordered and immediately he got the expected sputter of protest. But there's a reason we runners are expected to cut ties once the flight is through, Valmora, he reminded her quietly. 
glancing at the storefront of a colorful ritual shop they passed by, advertising a whole host of colorful and engraved mortar and pestles, as well as pots upon pots of preserved plants and animals, all the while keeping her in the corner of his eye. It's to prevent our charges and ourselves from being tracked and endangering both parties in the process. Yes, but that doesn't apply in this situation, does it? she asked, a small pleading edge to her voice. I mean, you're already here for completely unrelated reasons, and you're also not looking anything like you usually do during a flight, and... And then there's the fact that perhaps us charges simply wish to see you again. Lakmir added on, and Falmora nodded furiously. That too. Her leku swished furiously in agitation as she looked at him with large, pleading eyes. Come on, Wraith, please. You have no idea what it was like to realize you were just there again. She deserves that moment, just please. Falmora, he sighed while turning his eyes back up front, half to continue to scan their surroundings and half to avoid the large, watery eyes Valmora was staring at him with, something that didn't help in the slightest when she merely dodged around him and planted herself in his path, gazing at him intently. Please, she repeated quietly. She was just, she sighed. She was just so young when the flight happened. And just like that, he knew who she was referring to. And you were just... Valmora shook her head, Leku swinging lightly while she did so. You were everything to her. There was so much sincerity in that last sentence that it shone with the truth and... Stars and fucking sand. He groaned while pressing his temples through the mask the velvet lining likely being slightly crushed in the process, and yet he couldn't even begin to care with what he was about to say. Fine, he muttered. You may tell her, but, he added sharply before Valmora could begin dancing through the streets, only when it's necessary. He might as well have said, just say it, with how liberally he knew his charge would interpret those words, but at least he would be able to claim he tried. Sure enough, Valmora was downright jubilant with permission now given, bouncing like a child less than half her age and clapping happily at the prospect of being allowed to spill his best-guarded secret that nonetheless was straining under the pressure of his circumstances today. Still, at least this time, it was someone who already knew the weight of secrets and not three people who were about as far from children as he was from being core-world aristocracy. Silver linings, he guessed. He sighed as they continued to make their way through the rats of the underground, and Luke allowed himself the small luxury of actually looking at the various storefronts and bars and even restaurants and inns that lined the streets of the underground, rather than merely scanning them for danger, if only to distract himself away from the looming threat that his secret was about to be spilled to yet another person. And sons, it was gorgeous here. Not in the same way that Chitamaske was, with its neatly polished buildings, and lavish detailing on almost every part of the city, but it had a beauty all its own. The streets were dirty, but the tiled mosaic that made up the ground of the station floor was clearly shining through. In fact, the old character of what had once been a functioning station still shone through strongly everywhere he looked, from the obvious location to the smaller things like some of the fancier shacks, appearing to be repurposed booths from the station itself, instead of makeshift from whatever material could be brought down here. But at the same time, 
It was quite obvious that the underground had been made without any kind of official guidelines or indeed rules at all, and that people had done exactly what they wanted and nothing more. Building material included everything from what seems to be recycled wood and metal sheets to old shop signs, speeder parts, half-dismantled storm shutters, and generally everything up to and including the kitchen sink, which he saw someone had proudly repurposed into a planter for curious red-tinted shrubbery. There was a general theme of that, too, he noticed, with all establishments having an air of being slowly cobbled together over time, and the owners being damn proud of that fact, too. With barely any furniture matching the next, and what little that looked like it did, once match having been deliberately altered, to put a right quick stop to that nonsense. It gave the whole place a rather cozy and tenacious character in Luke's opinion, and he could definitely see himself spending the day here browsing through the shops and resting at the cafes and bars. Especially since he was spotting all manner of things in the shops that he definitely wanted to take a closer look at, from various tailor shops that were selling clothes that were infinitely more familiar to him than whatever had been put up in the boutiques he'd spotted throughout the surface city, to a small weapon shop that had some rather intriguing gear in the front window that he suspected he could mod into something truly incredible with a bit of elbow grease and time. But it was the people that fascinated him the most. It was like all the species and people from the outer rim had been missing on the surface converged here in the literal underbelly of the city. Traditions, Duros, Twi'lek, Togruta, and more than a couple of species that Luke didn't recognize on sight, but that he dared bet one could have fascinating conversations with. This was where all manner of the wild and free ended up, a town underneath a shining city that had no rules, quite literally built in the refuses of the surface world, and seeming to be damn proud of that fact. And here, apparently, Another one of his ex-charges had ended up. Sons, what more surprises would he find on Quad? Actually, so Zariah ended up here as well, he mused out loud, raising his voice just loud enough that he knew Valmora would catch on. Were there any others? Aren't you supposed to not know, Stormwraith? Valmora teased in return, amusement fluttering bright around her like shining insects, and he couldn't help but smile himself at the infectious glee even as he rolled his eyes. Call it a precautionary measure against you springing any more of these surprises on me, he answered with only a slight chiding tone that had Tyrion and Corey snicker behind him as they caught the rest of the conversation, and Valmora seemed to concede the verbal spar with a small burst of amusement of her own. None that we know of, she eventually answered. After we arrived at the off-world checkpoint, we were split up into smaller groups. Some had places they could return to, if you decided to go off on their own, but Lackey and I chose to be relocated to somewhere deep into the core. Zariah chose to join us for the time being, and the three of us together made for a more secure traveling group than if we'd separated. Luke hummed low in his throat as he turned the corner, nearing their destination rapidly. He knew that once his part of the flight was through, his charges often had much of their journey still ahead of them, but it was something else to finally get to hear how that part took place. We were delivered to Madame Horux's home, and she took us under her wing, Lamora revealed. It was her who introduced us to Madame Raisi, the previous owner of Café Cristace, and the lady who we'd eventually take over from. Zariah, however, took a shine to her, and so did the Madame. They eventually adopted each other, 
and the rest is history. She shrugged and chuckled. Now it's our turn to help out with the flight paths. So Lucky and I help maintain and stock various safe houses, while Zariah helps out her mother. And now he was running those very same flight paths far away from his usual stomping grounds, meeting all the people he ostensibly should have never met, if it weren't for a storm of perfect circumstances. Somewhere out there he suspected his patron was laughing at him. A speeder passed by at a slow pace, laden with goods, and the breeze left in its wake was just enough to ruffle the fringes of his hair that his braids hadn't caught or had gotten loose. And there was a whisper of incense and spices in the air that came with it, and it brushed against his senses. It was probably a coincidence, but with all that had happened, he glared up into the sky and felt the distinctive impression of someone laughing, whispering past his mind. Typical. Eventually, after some more walking and Valmora both pestering him and encouraging his other charges to pester him some more with various questions that he either had to dodge around or answer with carefully measured truths, the far side of the underground came into view. Large, imposing structures of durasteel that, even after all these centuries, had stayed strong and held their shape, a thick layer of oxide characteristic to durasteel that had been treated with a brass coating covered the whole structure in a deep green hue, likely protecting the integrity of the material that laid underneath with the layers that had built up over the years. Durasteel was strong and largely rust-resistant, but resistant didn't mean impervious, and several millennia was a long time for anything to last. He was glad to see that the Quadi of Old had realized that too, and taken precautionary measures to protect against the water and salt in the soil of their home. The evidence spoke for itself. Even after centuries of disuse and abandonment and repurposing, the gargantuan old structures made to receive and send off the various trains over multiple levels of rails were still standing strong, protecting the various huts and shacks sheltered within their branch-like structures. Lights were strung throughout, and even with their overtly mechanical nature, it gave the whole place a distinctly arboreal look, much like the pictures he'd seen from the various tree villages of Kashyyyk. The true showstoppers were the trains, though, resting in their mechanical cradles like vast, slumbering metal creatures, the great transport beasts of ages past and clearly been maintained and repaired over the years by various people who'd used whatever they had on hand. As a result, most of the trains looked like they'd been adorned with colorful ornaments, tributes to the sleeping giants. Well then, Valmora said as she stepped up beside him, eyes glancing over the vast structures he was so admiring. We're here. Soft noises of awe could be heard from his charges, and Luke could only agree. The only other structures he'd ever seen before his travel off-world that could even begin to rival this were the bells of Kashmi and the lost city, far out into the desert and built by unknown hands. Granted, he'd seen much since that time, and things much vaster than this, but there was a sense of legacy and lost era here that none of the other places had possessed. This, as far as he could tell, was truly something of a bygone era, still cared for, still loved, still used, but something of an older time, a time before people truly took to the skies and forever left the ground. It's huge, Zev whispered in quiet awe. I didn't even know there was something like this underneath the city. Not many who aren't native do, 
Tyrion replied quietly. And even then, it's a niche subject that really won't interest most people. It's been somewhat relegated to obscure history outside of, well, to the people who are here, obviously. But you know about it, do you not? Corey pointed out. And Luke's attention promptly sharpened towards his charges. Corey had yet to really engage with any of the others, nor they with him, and considering their history and what Corey had done and said not even hours ago, that was understandable, but with a bit of luck, perhaps. My ancestors built these lines. Tyrion revealed absently, not a hint of wariness or fear in his voice as he observed the structures, and Luke breathed a small sigh of relief. Perhaps something could come from this after all. It's family history to learn of them, Tyrion continued. But I didn't know that they were still being used like this. As far as I knew, they were entirely abandoned, and no one came down here anymore except for these surveying teams and occasional foolhardy thrill-seeker or urban explorer. Good, Balmora chirped happily. That means the bribes and blackmail paid off. Uh-oh. Excuse me, what? Tyrion asked, eyes snapping over to Valmora, who seemed to realize just what she'd said to who a moment too late. Uh, she mumbled. And Luke could empathize with Lackmere when she sighed deeply. Don't answer that one, Valmora, he ordered, pressing his fingers against the temples of his mask and undulating the material softly to apply some blessed pressure. Please. And Syrian? Yes, sir, Tyrion answered, still looking at Valmora with deeply narrowed eyes. Luke sighed. I won't tell you not to act on this information, heir of Quat, he addressed pointedly, noting how Tyrion's posture abruptly straightened up and the sharp glance that was thrown his way. But I will tell you to be very careful. He nodded towards the underground, and more specifically, the living, breathing community that had been built here. All the lives these people have built here hang in the balance depending on what you do with it. Do not take that lightly. Tyrion nodded firmly, and his presence was even a little offended while he did so. They're my people, he answered quietly. I would never. Then I suppose the ball was in your court now, he finished with a pointed look towards Valmora, who was starting to look more than a little guilty for what she'd let slip. In either case, it's an issue for a later time. For now, we need to keep going. Crosshair's way station is on the third level, Valmora added quietly, apparently having lost some of her eagerness to speak after a blunder of the magnitude she'd just committed. Luke supposed that if he had accidentally given the way the means by which a critical hub of the underbelly on Tatooine kept its existence a secret to the local authorities, well, he'd probably lose the will to be so free with his words, too. As it turned out, the third level, or any level, really, could only be reached via a means of stable ramps, then less stable stairs, and finally what was, quite literally, just a pile of various junk haphazardly stacked in a manner that mimicked proper stairs. And even when they carefully navigated all that, they were still left facing a rope bridge that led towards the way station that Luke's own experience with emergency rope structures deemed to be less than ideally constructed. We have to cross that? Zed exclaimed dubiously. I don't think it'd hold even Tyrion. He quickly turned towards the small heir with an apologetic look. No offense, he assured. 
and take him, Tyrion returned, looking incredibly dubious at the construction of the rope bridge as well. I'm not sure that thing would hold me too. It's not that bad, Valmora insisted, having regained a bit of her old bounce as she considered the bridge. It sees daily use in any case, so I'm sure it's just. As if to prove a point, one of the ventilation units that filtered air throughout the underground kicked in, and the rope bridge swayed in the ensuing breeze, creaking dangerously. Fine, Valmora finished, now looking about as dubious as the rest of them. Luke sighed again, and sons, he was doing far too much of that lately, but this fucking situation, and unclipped his tether from his belt, quickly lashing the hooked end to one of the metal beams of the structure the rope bridge was precariously strung between, and knotting the other end around himself into a quick safety harness. There, he said, tugging the final knot into place with more force than was perhaps needed, but exactly as much as it was satisfying. I'll walk all those who wanted across, one by one while staying tethered. Now who's first? I propose Quora goes first, Corey promptly said, holding up his hands in surrender when he immediately received downright caustic looks from Quinn and Zev. Merely because if anyone has the best chance of making it across the bridge, it's him, and it would be less weight to hold on to for Sir should it fail. And why don't you go instead? Quinn sniped, glaring daggers. You're not much bigger than he is. Corey shot a dirty look right back and sniffed with some of his old haughtiness. All right, I will. With that, he stepped forward to Luke and nodded firmly. Ready, sir, he said. And Luke had to admit, even if it was just to save face, Corey could be called many things, but a coward was not one of them. Nodding once in acknowledgment, he tied a quick cross-linked safety harness around his charge's entire torso with the remaining length of his tether linking them together. Should Corey fall, it wouldn't be a comfortable thing to hang by, but it would spread the force of the fall across enough surface area that all he would have to show for it would be some bad bruises and perhaps a rope burn or two. That and the harness only took seconds to tie properly. With Corey secured to him and only an arm's length of rope between them, he began to make his first attempt across the rope bridge. Now, perhaps it would have been wiser to have just him cross it in case the bridge couldn't even hold that much, but they had little time to spare, and if the bridge held both him and Cory, then at least they would know it would hold heavier members of their group like Lakmir and Zev, too, even if they would have to cross alone. It probably wasn't strictly necessary for him to go through this whole process, either. As Valmora said, the bridge got daily use, and while the structure was less than ideal, it didn't look to be in danger of failing immediately in the moment, either. Unfortunately, as a runner, he wasn't in the business of risking his charges when a workaround could be found, and in this case it just meant a bit more time for him on a precarious and dangerously creaking bridge. Nothing he couldn't handle. Holding Corey's hand firmly while stepping his way across the slightly rusted metal sheets strung together to make the walking path of the bridge, Luke gritted his teeth against the feeling of it sagging and swaying underneath his feet. Whomever had made this had not followed proper safety standards or precautions, and frankly, the part of him that made a living out of those things was highly offended. Still wobbly and decidedly unsuited as it was, he and Corey made it safely across the bridge, allowing him to deposit his charge safely on the other side, just in front of what looked to be Crosshair's way station's front yard. A few quick yanks on the right loops had the whole thing fall apart at the seams, 
the harness around Corey's torso untying itself in just a moment and allowing him to coil the rope back up for the next one of his charges he would have to ferry across. The process at that point was just to lather, rinse, repeat, with only the mild deviation being towards the end when he had to let Lackmere cross on her own after the bridge had made some very ominous creaking sounds with the weight of both of them on it at once. Tether untied, charges safe, and him very irate with whomever decided that the bridge was up to code, Luke was just about ready to get this over with and get his charges through the next leg of their journey without any further delays. Walking up to Crosshair's way station proper through the piles of rusted sheet metal formed into crude planters with red-leafed shrubbery and colorful fungi growing in them, Luke took note of the cabin in front of them that was the destination apparently worth all this hassle. It certainly looked about like what Luke had expected to find. A large, flickering neon sign of a compass was displayed prominently on the gable, and there was a small open sign hanging in the scratched and cloudy window set into the door. The cabin looked to be as patched together as the rest, but more cohesive somehow, like there had been some deliberate effort put in to make it nice. The same certainly couldn't be said for the large chain-link fence extending directly out from the shack and straight to the edge of the massive crossbeam this whole thing was built on top of, rusted and flaking paint as it was. He wasn't here to judge the aesthetic merits of this place, though. And if this was where he could barter a fast passage to the center of the city for him and his charges, then it could look however it damn well pleased. Pushing open the creaking door, Luke let his charges into a dimly lit room where an old hollow display was playing off a jaunty tune, an even older climate control unit humming away in the corner and blowing air around the room. Light filtered in through the cloudy windows, and a half-torn lampshade cast a yellow glow over the somewhat dark but clean and honestly nice room. "'Be right with you!' a chipper voice called out, and Luke closed his eyes for a moment as the memories came rushing back. Sure enough, when he opened them, it was like seeing them spilling out in the form of a person as a slender Togruta ducked under the doorway of the back room behind the counter. With a soft blue flouncy blouse and equally voluminous umber skirt paired with a headdress in matching dyed leather decorated with colorful stitching and studs draped over her foreheaded montrals, Zariah looked better than he could ever remember. Gone was the small, malnourished and scared young teen who'd clung to him like a lifeline whenever possible. In her place, a vibrant, healthy, and confident young adult who'd shot up like a sprout and was bursting at the seams with eager joy and curiosity. Sons how she'd grown since he last saw her. "'Welcome to Crosshair's Way Station,' she greeted with a radiant smile. "'How can we help you reach your destination today?' Lackmere chuckled deeply, and the moment Zariah's eyes fell on her, they lit up like stars. Zariah, how have you been? She greeted the young Togruta with a fang-filled grin. Zari! Valmora greeted exuberantly, immediately leaping forward and sweeping the laughing Zariah into a firm hug. How have you been? Oh, it's been way too long! Lucky Val! Zariah returned, beaming bright and hugging Valmora back tightly enough that he feared she might break something. And don't be silly. It's only been two weeks, she admonished Valmora with a grin that showed off her fangs. Exactly, Valmora wailed, drawing her back in again. Way too long. We do have some catching up to do, Zariah agreed, picking Valmora cleanly up off the floor in her own hug and spinning her around to the delighted shriek of Valmora. What are you doing here, anyway? Isn't there a storm warning active for the surface at the moment? 
snucking under these storm shutters, Thamora revealed blithely, grinning wide. And we had good reason to. Getting herself plopped back down on the ground, Thalmora nearly skipped over to him, clapping a firm hand on his shoulder. Sons, here they go. Zeri, she said brightly. This is- What in the name of the blazing fortress of Rosco is going on back there? A voice that could only be described as a cantankerous croak yelled out from the back room, and Luke heaved a sigh of relief that the reveal had been delayed for a moment. Out of the back room came the stooped and hobbling form of an old Rin, with a mane of white hair, an equally white tuft on the end of his tail, and a wizened face. It was clear that this individual had seen his fair share of years. And there was a whispering air of age and hard-fought wisdom around him. That being said, the glare levied their way by two dark eyes, and the sheer annoyance pulsing over the whispers also let it be known with no doubts that this man was not happy to see them, or at the very least highly irate by their presence. Who are you people? the old Rin asked with a sharp tap of the cane he was bent over, voice rasping but clear. What's your business in my shop? And what's with the shouting? Crosshair, you recognize Valenlaki, don't you? Soraya said, jettering to the two, but the Rin, the eponymous crosshair of the name of the shop, apparently waved her off with a gesture of his cane. I recognize them just fine, he snapped. It's this lot. He jabbed sharply at them with his cane. That I draw my damn questions by. He glared at them and apparently recognized Luke's positioning at the front of his charges as a clear flame as he met his gaze dead on. Who are you? Then what the fuck do you want? He barked out. Crosshair, Zariah began, but Luke could only grin at the directness. This, this he could work with. We're here to employ your services, he answered crossing his arms across his chest and meeting the irate glare of the shopkeep toe-to-toe with his own amused look. We were told that if we needed discreet transport out of the Red Stones, you were the one to ask, so here we are, asking. Crosshair irately tapped his cane sharply against the floor while glaring even fiercer at him. Well, why the fuck didn't you say so sooner? He snapped out, promptly hobbling over to the counter and getting up behind it. Luke ambled his way over, while Crosshair started up an old hollow display connected to a computer that could both be at their most generous, described as being in an early fossilized state. When the display flickered on, and only showed a writhing mass of brightly colored bars flickering around in a swarm, the shopkeep cursed loudly, and promptly performed percussive maintenance on the display with enough force that Luke winced. Oh, that poor thing. Look, you stupid thing! Crosshair hissed at the display, and Luke grimaced as he promptly smacked the machine again. I have the necessary qualifications to work with electronics, Luke mentioned warily. Should I take a look at it? He made the offer while eyeing the display, but he half expected it when the man promptly shot him an absolutely caustic look and bared his teeth. Mind your own fucking business, Crosshair hissed at him, and yeah, that's about what Luke expected, but he at least had to offer. Actually, Soraya jumped in, shooting her own reprimanding glare at Crosshair, who glared right back. He's been having issues for a while now, so if you wouldn't mind. I don't, he confirmed with a shrug. But I would prefer to be able to work at it without running the risk of getting bashed over the head with that cane. He finished with a jerk of his chin towards the worn wooden stick affixed with a heavy brass knob on top that was leaning against the counter. If he had to guess, it could do some serious damage as a makeshift club, and he wasn't about to underestimate the old Rin just because he was old. 
Zariah promptly crossed her arms and stared Crosshair down with the two narrowed flints of ice that her eyes had become, Crosshair staring right back with his own irate gaze before finally throwing up his hands and grabbing his cane, hobbling off in a fury. Fine, he growled. Let the complete stranger take a look at the machinery. As long, he snarled, jabbing a finger towards Luke as he passed by, as you don't expect a fucking parade or a discount. Luke raised an eyebrow and shot an unimpressed look right back. If it gets us on the move and out of here at a faster pace, he said idly, I'll consider that payment enough, even if it does mean missing out on more of your absolutely delightful personality, Mr. Crosshair. He meant it, too, not that he believed Crosshair would think he was serious. The man had a cactus for a personality as far as he was concerned, but after having had to deal with people who had personalities about as genuine as the art in the gallery of the exhibition earlier that day, this was a breath of fresh air. I'll go fuck yourself, Crosshair sniped at him while hobbling over to the far end of the counter, and Luke deemed that to be far enough not to run the risk of the shopkeep beating him in the head on a flare of irritation, at least as long as Zariah was keeping him at a distance with the force of her glare. I will decline that kind offer, thank you, he shot back while rounding the counter and fishing out a Durasteel multi-tool out of one of his bandolier's pockets. Crosshair growled back at him that he had five minutes before he reconsidered his agreement not to beat him over the head, but Luke was already focused on the task in front of him. Up close, the hollow display was even more ancient than he had suspected, and if he had to guess, the device was at least a good fifty years, if not more, old. The design certainly allowed for it to be as old as eighty, considering that was when the modeling of the chassis first became popular. Thankfully, it looked to be in a rather good state. There was no visible damage outside of a few dings and nicks and maybe a few dents, but the surface was meticulously clean, and he could spot nothing along the lines of water damage or the like. Flipping out the screwdriver extension, he popped open the front casing of the display and took a look inside, finding pretty much what he'd expected. Dusty machine parts, loosened wires, and generally just the signs of age, nothing a little cleaning and some electrical tape couldn't fix. Give me a clean rag and some swabs, and I'll have this thing fixed up in minutes, he called over his shoulder, beginning to fiddle with the loose wiring that was likely the primary cause of the faulty display. Someone stomped off behind him, and the gate was distinctive enough that Luke glanced up in surprise over his shoulder as Crosshair left for the back room, muttering the entire way. Crankiness as bad as ever, but with a determination to it now. Mere moments later, the man stomped back out and tossed a balled-up rag straight at his head with surprising force. Unfortunately for Crosshair, Luke's reflexes were currently on a hair trigger so fine that he'd even been able to dodge multiple blaster bolts in certain adrenaline-fueled situations. The ball of fabric sailing straight for his head may as well have been floating along on helium with how easy it was to catch. Thanks, he offered with a grin that he knew would make Crosshair's eyes narrow even before they did it. It's much appreciated. Just get two of you, fucker, Crosshair growled back at him, and Luke offered a mocking bow before doing just that. Within the ball of rags, he found the requested swabs, the entire packet pristine white in a way he could admit he hadn't expected. Really, there was a lot of unusual cleanliness in this house that he wasn't expecting, but was nonetheless incredibly thankful for. The process itself was simple enough, really and the most complicated part of it all was figuring out how to dig the swabs into the small and tight corners of the system to get all the grime and dust out. Nonetheless, it was a lot less bad than he would have expected for a device over half a century old, and someone had clearly been taking care of it, even if it hadn't been maintained. 
Within a few minutes, the last of the wire attachments had been cleaned and reattached, and with a click of the cover, he popped everything back in place and flicked on the power button, gratified when a crystal-clear image popped up out of the display. There, he said, grinning at his own handiwork. Some cleaning and replugging the wires, and it's good as new. That was apparently the wrong thing to say. Wait, Crosshair said, hobbling over, looking even more furious than usual. Wait, you're telling me that all that fucking glitching, all that thrice damned glitching, was because the fucking machine wasn't clean? Uh-oh. Unfortunately, Luke began, bracing himself for what was about to happen and catching Zariah doing the same from where she was standing. Yes. The explosion that resulted, Luke thought as he watched in admiration, could very well have rivaled a volcanic eruption if allowed to face off, as Crosshair swore up a storm with the use of language so colorful that Luke had to admit he'd never expected that nose hair could be used as a verb in the way Crosshair did. When the man finally calmed down, Luke's eyebrows had migrated to somewhere into his hairline as he reevaluated his opinion of the man to raise a few notches. Impressive. He admitted truthfully. Shut the fuck up, Crosshair snapped at him, before rubbing the wrinkles of his forehead like he had a headache that could be measured in strength by their numbers. Didn't clean their fucking inside, Crosshair muttered while attempting to massage away the pain and lingering fury that flared through all around him. Clean the whole damn room twice a week, top to fucking bottom of the damn fucking insides, I swear. He cut himself off with a loud groan, and yeah, Luke could understand that as he winced in sympathy. If it helps, he offered, resisting the urge to stop when Crosshair shot him a glare that communicated that he thought it would very much not. It seems that your cleaning habits kept too much dust from accumulating inside of it in the first place. The only reason it failed now is because the ultimate buildup of that accumulated since the last time it was checked over grew to be just too much for the system. It's a common issue in these kinds of models. Crosshair stared at him with a kind of loathing that Luke recognized well enough to know it wasn't personal, but was aimed more at the general state of life. Get the fuck out from behind my counter, was the thing the shopkeep finally got out. Shooting off a mock salute, Luke promptly vaulted the counter and bounced once on his legs, shooting the man a bright grin when the glare turned into daggers. Now then, he said, cheerful as anything, can we finally discuss the transport I'm told we can purchase here? Another vile glare was shot his way that only darkened when a round of snickers went up around the room, the air light and full with it. But Luke kept his smile fixed and bright until Crosshair finally looked away and, grumbling the whole way, turned to business and a register filled to the brim with writing. "'What's the destination?' he asked. "'City center,' Luke answered promptly. "'Discreet passage. If someone outside this room knows we've arrived, I'll consider it a bad deal.' Glancing up from the register, Crosshair narrowed his eye. Are you an idiot or just mad? he asked bluntly. The center is not available today. No one will go into that place while it's crawling with imps after the old damn city hall blew sky high. And yet we need to get there, Luke insisted firmly. Imperials he knew how to deal with, but these hunters could and would murder him without second thought if they got a hold of them, murder or worse. I frankly don't care what's rolling around there. We just need to get as close to city center as we can. For this I can thank you, then, is the ring walls, Crosshair promptly dismissed. And this time it was Luke's turn to glare at the man. 
He may have only seen the map of Chitamaske for a few minutes, but the ring walls weren't even at the halfway point. Any further on, I'll risk getting those damn imps on my neck. It'll be two hundred credits for that ride. Oh, so that was how it was going to be. Normally, normally he might let that slide. But not on a flight. Not with the charges in tow. Not now. There's very few things that tick me off, Mr. Crosshair. Luke informed him quietly, narrowing his eyes. But someone trying to take advantage of me in an unfair deal is one of them. He tilted his head lower. For that kind of price, I'll expect to at least be taken to my intended destination. Didn't you hear me? Crosshair snapped back. I don't do City Santa today. Can't think of anyone who would with all those damn imps crawling around after that pretty little blast. Come back in a week or three and I can get you there once everyone has calmed the fuck down. But I ain't risking it today. Luke raised an eyebrow and promptly dipped his hand into one of his bandolier pockets, pulling out a purse he'd nicked from the hunters. Whatever else they'd been, they'd clearly been rather successful before he'd cut them down as they'd all been carrying a decent sum on their body, although he supposed that could simply be due to the fact that actual banking was always risky business for a hunter group. In either case, he could think of no better use for the blood money than to bring his charges to safety, and promptly dropped seven gold-banded credit chips on the counter, together worth well over two grand. It immediately caught the interest of Crosshair, and Luke noted with some amusement that, for all the man's surly demeanor, he was still a businessman at heart. That, and Luke was under absolutely no illusion that he hadn't just dropped more credits on the counter here than most of these people likely saw in months. That, he said coolly, for passage into city center. Nothing else. Luke watched narrowly as the man swallowed almost imperceptibly, tail twitching behind him, before glaring up darkly at him. I hate you, he informed Luke bluntly, and yeah, that was fair. Too bad he literally couldn't care less as long as it got him this passage for his charges. I frankly don't care, as long as your business transactions are sound, Mr. Crosshair, Luke informed the man flatly. And make no mistake, I will make you regret it if you try to fleece me. That made something spark in the air around Crosshair, and Luke knew that this was where the real negotiations had begun. With approximately 2,100 credits lying on the counter, he knew the shopkeep would have to start taking him seriously. He wouldn't be willing to lose this kind of case, not really. It put Luke at something of an advantage, admittedly, since he had yet more blood money to burn on this negotiation and no compunctions in the slightest about putting Crosshair into this situation. He wondered if the man himself realized that yet. That, Crosshair began, a thoughtful expression on his face as he stroked his mane, will get you to the Old South and no further, he glared darkly at Luke, because I will go no further than that. The truth, to an extent. The Old South... That would have to be the edge just inside where the old city wall once was. The thick line the former presence of the wall drew on the map was still visible even all this time later, and Luke almost grinned as he realized the man had just conceded to crossing one of the largest canals in the middle of the city. It was still barely more than an extra third of the remaining route added on, even with the ludicrous price. But the psychological effect of crossing that kind of natural barrier even if it wasn't actually a barrier to them within the underground, couldn't be underestimated. As it was, he didn't grin, and kept his face composed as he quickly analyzed the first victory he'd achieved. 
He would have to keep pressing, though. Twenty-one hundred credits for a ride barely into the Old South, he asked, raising a pointed eyebrow. My, we really aren't feeling our nerves today, are we? They won't do me any good if I'm dead, now would they? Crosshair shot back, and Luke crossed his arms. You assume I would simply let you get executed like that? Luke asked idly, and he could see that the gears started to turn in the shopkeep's mind at that, tail flicking side to side sharply as he considered that. I've guarded my charges through far worse so far. I would manage stretching time for your escape. He tilted his head. Twenty-five hundred credits for city center, and my guarantee of protection on top of that, should you fail in delivering us discreetly to our destination. Land market and no further, Crosshair countered. If your protection was really worth all that, why the discreet passage, huh? Never heard of not seeking out conflict if it can be avoided? He shot back icily. I have my charges with me, and while I can take a beating, I won't stand for them having to do the same if it can be avoided. 2800, my protection and city center. You're trying to get me killed? Crosshair hissed, trembling in fury as his tail lashed behind him. You're trying to get me killed? And I can't believe I'm doing this merchant's district. For 2800, that's the furthest I'm willing to go negotiations closed. Truth, but not good enough. City. Center. Luke insisted in a growl, channeling his full force into it. City center and nothing else. I'm not getting killed over this! Crosser yelled back. You can just go to- I can do it. Luke looked up from where he was glaring down at the old shopkeep, and over to where the voice had come from, Zariah staring back at him, afraid but determined. I can do it, she repeated pushing her shoulders back and keeping her chin high. I know how to run the trains, just like Crosshair does, and... and I believe you. She stood a little straighter. I won't come to harm. Damn right she wouldn't. But Luke really would have rather avoided taking his former charge with him on this trip. And it seemed he wasn't the only one. What the fuck are you talking about, Zariah? Crosshair promptly asked, sounding angry. But his presence betrayed him as being afraid. Zariah, it seemed, was having none of it, though. I said I'll take the job if you want, Crosshair, she repeated, crossing her arms. We need the credits, and besides, I, I trust him. She looked at him, and from the sparks of recognition in her, he realized that Valmora wouldn't have to explain the situation after all. Crosshair blinked and looked between her and him, confusion more than evident. Now why in the old damned galaxy would you... But Zariah stepped forward and looked him in the eyes, something small and hopeful blooming within her. It's you, she said, silencing Crosshair without even trying as she stepped closer, eyes scanning him, his face, and finally landing on his eyes with pure wonder bleeding into the air like a sunset. Isn't it? That depends on who you mean, Luke countered gently but smiling nonetheless as Zariah laughed breathlessly at his answer. Stormwraith, she whispered, awed and certain. And Luke, well, who was he really, said an I. Hello, Zariah, he greeted with a smile in turn, dipping into a shallow bow that his ex-charge copied with a giggle. It's been some time, hasn't it? It has, she agreed, 
And she barely seems to know what to do with his presence now. You didn't tell me, though, she noted, somewhat saddened. Why? Valmora wanted to do the honors, he revealed the light shrug. But then, well, he glanced over the crosshair. Other matters took precedent. She nodded slowly before eventually shaking her head in a grin and rubbing a hand at her eyes, finally revealing the light glistening within them. Sorry, she murmured. I just... I barely know what to say. I didn't... I didn't think you would just show up today. Trust me, he confided with a secretive smile. Neither did I. I was on planet for entirely different reasons, with only a single charge to run through a flight, but... He glanced over to where Quinn, Tyrion, Zev, and Corey were all watching the proceedings unfold, Quinn winking back at them while Tyrion offered a shy wave. I found myself with a sudden influx of charges, and have been trying to get them to safety ever since. He finished with a sigh and a small roll of his shoulders. Is that why you need passage to the center? She asked, looking over his small group of charges supplemented by Valmora and Lackmere, who weren't technically charges, but who also weren't not charges. Yes, he admitted. There is, uh, unbelievable as it may sound to you, safety to be found there for my charges, and come what may, I'm determined to get them there. Zariah nodded slowly while looking all four of his charges over. She wouldn't be able to recognize them, Luke knew. The disguises made sure of that, and he wasn't about to reveal them anyway. Telling Valmora and Lackmere that he had the heir of Quant, the crown prince of Alun, the son of a general, and the son of a powerful company dynasty with him while in the privacy of a room above a cafe was one thing, revealing that same thing in the underbelly of the city in the same room as a cantankerous old shopkeep who he was fairly certain would first refuse them service and then spill the beans immediately. It was a whole other matter. I'll take the job then, she said again, turning back to him and smiling lightly. As you help me, so will I help you, Wraith. I'll give you all the ride to city center. Well then, he supposed that was that. Thank you, he muttered, clapping his hands on her upper arms with her promptly copying his gesture and smiling warmly. I won't forget that. Hold up, Crosshair suddenly said, hobbling forward and waving his cane about. Hold the fuck up. Are you telling me this guy, this guy, is the one who got you out of that hellhole in the middle of fucking nowhere? Zariah promptly glanced towards him before answering, and he huffed out a laugh as he made the brief inquiring gesture of trust to her. She squinted for a moment before realization set into her face, and she returned with the gesture of family. Glancing between her and Crosshair, he raised a single eyebrow that had her off out a laugh. He may be a cranky old crone, but he's not so bad once you get to know him, she confided with a wink that had Crosshair sputtering and loudly complaining about slander before she silenced him with a look. Luke rolled his eyes but inclined his head in permission. You've got to be fucking kidding me, Crosshair muttered out when he saw that, more than a little stunned. Afraid not, Zariah said, smiling bright. Crosshair meet the Stormwraith. He was the one who ran me through my flight when I was chained. It's thanks to him that I'm even standing here. And how you've grown in the intervening time, he teased with a grin, proud beyond belief. I remember when you still hid behind me, clutching my overcoat. Now look at you. She laughed in delight and spun on the ball of her foot, her skirt and blouse flaring out around her with the movement. 
quite the improvement, though, she agreed. And it seems I wasn't the only one, now was I? She gestured down to his clothes and mask. I have to say it suits you. It's very dashing, very rogue. I could easily imagine you slipping out of these shadows to slit someone's throat in this. He rolled his shoulders and grinned. Trust me, most of it was entirely accidental and unplanned, but that's a story for another time. I really must focus on the flight. Right, she agreed, making her way behind the counter again and pulling up a form. A one-way trip to a city center for seven people, correct? For twenty-eight hundred, yes, discreetly, and with as little a trace as possible. Look, promptly agreed, relieved that they finally seemed to be getting somewhere. The sooner we can depart, the better. Zariah paused for a moment, glancing up from where she was filling out the form, conflict fizzling around her for a moment before she seemed to come to a conclusion. You know, she began, normally the price for such a trip would be two hundred, not over two grand. I could... Note the price down with four figures, please and thank you, Luke protested gently. I should think that such a trip would require some hazard pay. Zariah gave him a long look before nodding and resuming to fill out the forms. All right, then, she muttered, checking over the form. That should do it. If you'll just pay the full sum up front, I'll go get the engines ready for travel. Luke promptly dropped the whole purse on the counter, the credits inside making a satisfying clicking sound as they landed. Zariah raised an eyebrow at the gesture and promptly picked up the purse to check inside, both eyebrows promptly rising up to meet her headdress as she saw the contents, glancing up towards him. This is not the agreed-upon price, she noted carefully, and yeah, Luke was pretty certain that purse held about four times than what they had agreed upon, counting the credits already on the counter with it. Keep the change, he ordered, inclining his head. I neither want it nor need it. Zariah pursed her lips as she gave the money a second look. Do I want to know where you got this for you to say that? She asked lightly. But the real concern underneath her light tone shone through. Murdered some of the hunters after us? Luke answered bluntly. Not to worry, they were mercenary. I sincerely doubt this would be traceable even if you tried. He crossed his arms as he looked down at the purse with disdain. I have no need for blood money beyond this, though. Feel free to keep it and put it to better use than those hunters ever could. Zariah nodded mutely as she looked back down into the purse. I... we will, she whispered as she set it aside in a daze. Shaking her head seemed to dislodge it, though, and she considered the task at hand in front of her again. Well then, she said, chipper tone back in full force. I guess I'd better get the engines ready. I'll get them, Crosshair grumbled as he began to hobble past them all, presence highly annoyed but determined and resigned. Can't believe I'm putting up with these nonsense, he muttered as he hobbled past, tail lashing irritably. Crosshair? Zariah called out just before the old Rin left the shop. What are you doing? I just said. I know what you just said, he shot back crabbily, turning around with a rough tap of his cane. I'm old, not death. But if you think I'm gonna let you go out there with only your damn self at this center fucking crawling with imps... You've got another thing coming, young lady, and you... He jabbed the cane sharply in Luke's direction, and Luke straightened up under the scrutinizing glare that was leveled at him, meeting it evenly. I know who you are, Rafe. Sariah told plenty of tall tales about you and what you do. He hobbled closer, fire in his eyes, and for the first time, 
Luke got the distinct sense that the old Rin actually despised him in the moment. Putting all those stories of magic tricks and mystical nonsense into the heads of the people who rely on you with no other choice, he spat. And Luke narrowed his eyes. The dislike he could handle and didn't mind, but he would not stand for any slander directed at his patron. Dust whirled in the weak light beam falling in from the window as the old climate control unit kicked into high gear, whirling away softly in the background as it sent a breeze around the room while Crosshair hobbled closer. Planting this, this grand and noble image of you in the heads of people who have no other option, he hissed, mane bristling with restrained fury a growl building up in Luke's own throat in response as he tensed for a fight. I know your kind. You don't know a damn thing, old man, another voice suddenly hissed, and Luke glanced up to find Quinn bristling with restrained fury, barely being held back by a hand placed in front of him by an equally furious Zev, who seems to be wavering dangerously between letting Quinn have it and holding him back. Quinn, he warned sharply but his charge was far too worked up to be placated now. No, he yelled back. This guy has been nothing but an asshole ever since we walked in, perfectly polite, and now he's making these, these, these baseless accusations without even trying to, trying to... Quinn sputtered in fury and turned towards Crosshair. Tell me, he snarled out, righteous anger and offense burning bright around him. What the hell have you done for us? You get to be such a sad sack of shit to the guy who is trying to get us to safety. Did you shield us from a bomb with your own body? Did you, asshole? Quinn, that is enough, he ordered, tone sharp enough that it cracked through the air and promptly silenced the incensed young man, even as he continued to glare furiously at him right alongside his other charges, and Luke sighed. Sons, he really hoped he'd be able to just manage this for the time it would take to get through the flight and let it be, but it looked like he would have to address it after all. Eyeing the old Rin as he peered at his charges, Luke carefully scanned him for any offense, anger, or other negative emotions towards Quinn and the others now that their opinion on him had become clear. He was more than fine with the bitter shopkeep unloading his unfiltered vitriol. He could reply in kind if needed after all, but the moment he went after his charges, they would be having a different conversation. Thankfully, it seemed like he wouldn't have to. There was no real anger beyond the usual, but more respect? Well, now. Look, he addressed the shopkeep, drawing his suspicions and angry gaze back upon himself as he prepared to match wits with Crosshair again. I don't know what your issue is with me, and frankly, Mr. Crosshair, I don't give a damn. Carry out your own part of the agreement we have, and you can be however bitter and cynical you want about my intentions if it brings you some form of happiness or satisfaction— that being said, he narrowed his eyes and for the first time let true threat and danger sink into his posture. Retaliate against my charges, and I will break your neck. That finally seemed to make Crosshair take him seriously, as his fury dropped in favor of suspicion and what seemed to be a begrudging respect. Noted, he rumbled while tapping his cane, and you better live up to your hype. Rafe, or I swear I will haunt you for the rest of your life if you get us fucking killed. Deal, Luke said, holding out his right hand to shake on it. 
and being grimly satisfied, wouldn't cross here and took it with a firm grip. Not as firm as his, though, and squeezing the hand just slightly, he let a hint of danger seep through the agreement. The shopkeep winced slightly as a flash of pain shot through him, but met his eyes evenly and nodded, a gesture that Luke returned. Good. They had an understanding, then. Two seconds, and they'd shaken on it. Crosshair promptly stepped back and tried to hide it when he flexed out his hand a bit to get rid of the ache Luke had no doubt he'd left behind. You lot get yourself ready, he ordered, turning away to the door and hobbling back out. I'll get the engines ready for when you finally drag your fucking asses out to get going. With that, he disappeared through the door and closed it behind him with a bang, and Luke could feel his presence begin to wander off outside the cabin. Sighing out of relief at having gotten that over with, Luke turned towards the rest of them with a smile. Looks like we've got our ride, guys. Relief lifted up heavy into the air, and yeah, Luke could very much agree with that. Even with all the advantages he had in that negotiation, there was always the threat that it would fall through regardless, and he really hadn't been looking forward to having to guide his charges through the surface city in a violent storm. He would, if necessary, but it seemed he wouldn't have to. Can't believe you let that guy talk to you like that, sir, Quinn muttered while glaring at the door. What a jackass. A piece of vile work, that's for certain, Corey agreed with an equally distasteful look that had Luke roll his eyes. He's not that bad. He dismissed, and really, he wasn't. I've met Reuter, and at least he was honest. He paused for a moment to consider those words, and not scanning for weaknesses in order to murder me for my bounty the entire time. Those were always interesting conversations wherever they had to happen, interesting and nerve-wracking. Still, Zariah said while looking worriedly at the door, and Luke almost wanted to say that Crosshair had long since rounded the shop. I'm sorry for what he said. He can be, well, he doesn't trust other people easily, and he's old enough that he's seen some of the worst life has to offer. He's kind of those he trusts and knows, though, really. Really, it's fine, Luke agreed. I've heard way worse, and I'm not about to get bent out of shape over the words of a snarky old man who I barely know. As long as he doesn't go after the others, let him call me what he wants. I've got blaster bolts and murderous hunters to worry about, who will do more damage than his words ever could if they got their hands on us. Fair enough, Zariah agreed with a small grin. Sons, you really haven't changed, have you, Wraith? I like to think I've only gotten worse, he returned with a wink. In either case, I believe introductions are due, don't you? He beckoned his charges over, and they eagerly crowded around Zariah, and she watched them with equal excitement. Roll call, guys, he ordered. And let's keep it moving along, all right? Yes, yes sir. sir. They all chorused, and really that was unnecessary, but at least it got a giggle out of Zariah. Quinn Montador, your service, ma'am. Quinn greeted with a quick salute that Zariah promptly copied, much to Quinn's delight and to Corey's exasperation as he rolled his eyes. Comus Alun, he introduced himself briefly. Crown Prince of Alun. And that began to get a reaction from Zariah, but Luke kept the introductions moving along quickly before any questions could be posited alongside the burgeoning recognition and realization. Zev Viersman, Zev introduced himself with a nod. It's a pleasure. Tyrion Quada, ma'am. Tyrion introduced himself with a dip of his head, and that definitely garnered a reaction. Well met. Quara? she asked faintly. Crown Prince? Yeah, it's not the usual lot you'd expect in a flight, is it, Zari? Thamora noted with a sympathetic grin as she slung an arm around Zariah's shoulder. But they apparently needed the Wraith's protection, and she shrugged. Well, he takes everyone. 
Right, Zariah agreed, voice faint and weak as she looked over them before landing on him. It definitely makes sense why you'd be heading for the center in that case, she noted in an attempt at lightness. Considering that we've got family waiting for us there, it kind of does, doesn't it? Zev answered with a hidden grin before sighing. I hope Dad's doing all right. Me too, Tyrion muttered. Mother and father must be worried sick with what happened. At least yours, no, Quinn mentioned clumly. I wonder if mine have even been informed yet. They should have been, Corey muttered while wrapping his arms around himself, nearly disappearing entirely into his cloak with the movement. The news of the attack is probably already spreading rapidly, and depending on where they are, they should have already gotten it or get in the next couple of hours. Luke hummed low in his throat as he filed away those bits of information. Well, with any luck, we'll have you all back safe and sound before they can worry themselves too much, Luke tried in an attempt at comfort that got a nod from Quinn. Right, we should probably get moving, shouldn't we, sir? Quinn asked as he looked up. And while in this case he probably ought to defer to the people who would actually be getting them out of here, glancing over to Zariah, she smiled softly. Crosshair has probably reached the engine by now. If we start walking, he'll probably be done with starting her up once we arrive, or at least close to it. And besides, she added with a brightening of her smile, we'll be able to talk on the way there. Then let's get going, he agreed. The sooner this lot is safely back home, the better it is. Let me go lock up, Zariah agreed, promptly bouncing off to do just that. Wait for me outside, she yelled over her shoulder. And that was as good a signal as any that they should probably leave the cabin they were in. Outside it is, he muttered. And with two sharp clicks of his tongue, he once again had his entire flock of charges back in tow. He had to admit, with them all following behind him, he felt more than a little like a mother hen guiding along his chicks through the world. First we take a train out of there, Quinn mused while walking along behind him as he ushered them all out of the shop. Then we take a train to get right back. The irony of it isn't lost on me, Luke answered as he held the door open for them all taking the chance to scan both the outside and his charges in presence while they walked past. But we act as we must in each moment given. Then putting some distance between them and us was the best chance we had at survival, and the station gave us the best chance of it. Now, taking another train will hopefully give us the best chance of survival in the long term. And if it doesn't, Corey asked while Luke ushered Lachmir and Zev through last, offering both of them a smile. What if we can't get to safety in the center? Then we'll lose ourselves again to the city and find another place of safety, Luke answered promptly. We'll try the garrison to the east, or if that proves to bear no fruit, try to get a transport to the drive yards. If even that fails, I'll try to find another means to contact people who can help us without compromising ourselves. We'll get you all set up in the safe house if that happens, Palmora proposed. We know a few scattered throughout the city. They'll be able to put a roof over your heads and some food on the table until you've got another plan of attack. Worst case scenario, where we can't get any kind of contact for some reason or other, I'll put my engineering skills to good use to earn our bread until we reach a time when we can contact other people, Luke added on at the end, earning a few hidden smiles and laugh lines around the eyes of his charges as warmth and gratitude flooded through the air. No matter how long it might take, no matter what I have to do, I'll get you all through this, safe and sound, he promised quietly reiterating his vow as a runner and smiling softly when it sparked hope and trot anew with them. "'Thanks, sir,' Zev returned softly, an echo of mutters and similar sentiments following shortly behind that had Luke's guard melting slightly under the warmth and faith that hung light and thick in the air like the spun clouds of a sunset.
Lockmere chuckled, and Luke shot her a glance. Zarah was right, she said, bumping playfully into Luke. You really haven't changed, Wraith. In appearance, perhaps, but not where it matters. Not really. He chuckled and shrugged his shoulders. He couldn't deny it, after all. I like to think that some things are worth keeping the same, don't you? He teased right back. I don't know, she mused with a light grin that flashed some of her fangs. The mask certainly was a bit dramatic. Oh, Valmora exclaimed, eyes wide and a dramatic hand pressed to her chest in mock offense. How very dare you! Entirely dramatic, Luke agreed, nodding sagely and barely hiding his grin. I don't know what I was thinking, really. Betrayal? Valmora exclaimed loudly. That mask is perfectly fine, I can't believe you too. But she was grinning while she said it, and Luke grinned right back while making an over-exaggerated bow with a flourish. My deepest apologies, milady, he said to the snickers and snorts from his charges. It won't happen again. No, I have been betrayed, Valmora protested, pressing the back of her hands to her forehead in one of the most melodramatic acts Luke had ever seen her perform. Broken. Oh, I fear I shall never recover. Recover from what? Zariah asked as she pushed the door open, code cylinder in hand and ready to lock up. What happened? Valmora promptly swanned over and draped herself over Zariah's shoulders, heaving a loud, dramatic sob. Zariah, she whined. They're saying the wraith's mask I picked out is dramatic. She turned her large, watery eyes on the Togruta, whose expression had turned highly amused by the whole ordeal. Tell them they're wrong, she asked, sticking her bottom lip out in a pout. I don't know, Zariah drawled out, glancing over to him and grinning wide at the wink he shot her. It is kind of dramatic, Val. Certainly a lot more than his previous one. Valmora promptly gasped in betrayal and threw herself off of Zariah with abandon. Betrayal, she cried out, artfully stumbling backwards with a dancer's grace. And Luke rolled his eyes as he held out an arm for her to dramatically fall back over as she mimed out a dead faint. Traitors all around! Oh, whatever shall become of me, she wailed while draped over Luke's arm in what he could almost call a dip. Are you quite finished? he asked, unable to fully keep the laughter out of his tone. She briefly dropped the act to glance up to him and shoot him a bright grin. Almost, she said, before dropping her head right back down and unleashing a truly impressive heartbroken wail as she sobbed her heart out. And Luke had to bite his tongue to keep himself from doubling over in laughter. The sobbing theatrics went on for another few seconds before abruptly cutting out as Valmora glanced back up at him. Okay, now I'm done, she announced. And Luke finally let out a bark of laughter, hauling her up out of her dramatic drape over his arm and laughing even louder as she used the momentum to spin into a graceful pirouette and end in a deep, flourishing bow to the applause, laughter, and occasional whistle of his charges. He rolled his eyes and clapped along for the performance while Valmora continued to act like she had just given the performance of a lifetime. Thank you, thank you, she exclaimed, bowing with each one. It was truly a joy to have you all. Right, right, that's enough, he said through his snickers, and Valmora stuck her tongue out at him while flipping her leku back over her shoulders. Back on track, all of you, he ordered while making a shilling motion, and he grinned when his charges fell back in line, still snickering and giggling the entire way. They needed that, he could tell, and it was an excellent morale booster for the road ahead, especially now that Zariah turned to him and tucked her code cylinder away, having locked up behind her and gesturing for them all to come along with her. She led them around to the side of the shop, weaving through the planters and towards where the rusted old fence was. 
a fence that had been unlocked and moved aside, granting access to the rest of the crossbeam that led into the path beyond. Zariah ushered them all through, locking the gate behind her as she dragged it back into place while the metal protested with a loud groan. With that accomplished, she walked past and took point, leading them onwards into what laid beyond the gate, and Luke had to admit he could really feel the scale of the station as they began their walk. Knowing the entirety of the way station was built on top of what was only one of the crossbeams of the station structure was one thing, being able to take a five-minute walk on it as Zariah led them to where a makeshift bridge had been built that circled down around one of the main supporting pillars and a distant arrival platform where one of the patchwork trains was slowly starting to hum and groan as it came to life was another. In either case, it enabled them to see how truly massive the original station was, with the entirety of the underground town taking up less than half of it. The other half was nothing but a true maze of rails, train engines, and the distant, gaping entrance of the tunnel network that ran underneath the city, pitch black and foreboding. It was like something out of the old holodramas he'd loved watching whenever he needed something to cheer him up. The backdrop of a vast, ancient place that once housed hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions, now home to only a handful by comparison, and even less who explored the depths of what was once commonly traveled. Luke shivered against the vast presence of the station, the old imprint of the people who had passed through here still lingering in the edges of this ancient place. There was something beautifully haunting about it all, but that didn't take away that the key word in that sentence was haunting. Not by the dead, or even a real spirit, but he could feel the weight of lost history within this place, something beautifully archaic, not quite dead, but slumbering in a deep, undisturbed sleep dreaming of better times. Descending the makeshift sheet metal ramp, snaking its way around a support pillar roughly as thick as a large house, Luke kept his eyes peeled for any threats, but in truth also to simply admire the scenery as they descended through the several levels of rails and elegantly mechanical support structure. What could he say? He was an engineer at heart and loved to appreciate a finely crafted mechanical complex. How immense is this place? Corey asked quietly while looking around. No idea, Zariah returned. I've been traveling these tunnels almost every other day for over a year now, and I still find new places each and every time I go out. I don't think even Crosshair knows every last nook and cranny. There's places we just don't go due to various reasons, but it's also just because this whole thing was massive before it was eventually shut down. I never even knew the trains were still running down here. Tyrion mentioned quietly, looking around. Just seeing this, I can't understand why it was ever shut down. People just didn't want to use it anymore, I guess, Zariah said with a shrug. Or maybe there was some other reason for it to be abandoned. In any case, I don't think anyone really knows for certain why it was abandoned. Only that it was, and now it's home to all the people who can't really fit in on the surface. She paused. Or don't want to, I guess. Tyrion hummed lowly, and Luke glanced towards his charges out of the corner of his eyes, wondering what he was thinking of. As the heir of this city, this knowledge in these hands could cause some genuine upset and disaster if Tyrion handled it poorly. At the same time, it could do a lot of good as well, depending on how careful and thoughtful he was with it. It would be interesting to see how this unfolded. He had faith in his new friend's intentions but there was a vast gulf of difference between good intentions and good actions, 
and Tyrion's own lack of confidence in his own social skills could trap him inside his own limited knowledge without being able to ask for the help and alternative viewpoints he would need. He would need to be brave to handle this properly, be brave or risk catastrophic failure if he acted on incomplete understandings and information. Only time would tell which Tyrion would choose. Only time would tell what all of them would choose, really. Glancing around the rest of his charges, he would only wonder what would become of them. Cory, the proud and somewhat arrogant prince who was proving himself to be, if not willing, at least capable of change. Quinn, the clever and observant scion of a powerful family who apparently wanted nothing more than to be an artist and had all but given up on that dream. And Zev, and who had been so desperately in need of a second chance at freedom. All of them had their stories. All of them already had their futures written out for them by other hands. He wondered if all of them would have the courage to seize the means to write them out themselves. Only time would tell. In the meantime, all he could do was ensure that they would have the time to find out, and maybe be a friend for them to rely on when this flight was through as well. Time would tell. When they reached the bottom of the ramps and the platform from which they would be departing, Luke could only stare at what was waiting for them there. One of the old trains, showing clear signs of having been carefully maintained and cared for throughout the years, with layer upon layer of repairs and retouched paint jobs, and just... Like what do you see? Crosshair called out from one of the locomotives, cackling as he jumped out of the operator's coop. Let me introduce Warner. She's been running these tunnels for over two and a half millennia by this point, and she'll be the one bringing all you fuckers from point A to point B today. He promptly glared at Luke while he said that. And if this is the run that finally does her in, I'll have your head, you bastard. You can certainly try, Luke agreed while looking over the absolutely gorgeous machine in front of him. Made of a dark gray metal with a beautiful glossy green sheen to it, and decorated in graceful reliefs that accentuated her design and that of the two compartments between her two matching locomotives, Warner was truly a sight to behold, even when not counting in the colorful patches of bending on her. She's beautiful, he couldn't help but comment. <laughs> you got that right, Crosshair agreed while looking over the old train, gently running a hand over her reliefs. Passed down from operator to operator, she's one of the true ancients still riding through these tunnels, and she does so with grace and style. Can't believe someone would have the audacity to try to retire her, Luke commented while looking her over. No rust, no holes, no nothing. She had a fair share of scratches and wear, that was true enough. But it hardly tarnished her, and if anything, it marked her years of service. Honestly, the fact that she was still running after two and a half millennia with what seemed to be minimal wear and tear didn't make him think all too highly of the people who had decided to close down the underground because they apparently lacked the good sense to be able to recognize what they had right in front of them. Neither can I, but their trash is our treasure. And if those idiots have any protests, they can just keep on spinning wherever they were stuck in the ground, Crosshair crouched. In any case, her engines have had the time to warm up and she's ready to run. Get your kids on board, and we'll get her on the way. Luke was about to do just that when Crosshair blocked his path one last time. And I mean it, Rafe, he repeated lowly, mane bristling dangerously. I don't know what you did to make that girl think she owes you this, but you'd better deliver on that promise of protection of yours. 
or I swear these old bones still have enough fight in them to give you a run for it. Luke returned the look coolly. As something laughed in the back of his head, the whistling song of the wind ringing through his head. I understand the impulse, he began lightly, but make no mistake. Zariah was once my charge, and as far as I'm concerned, she's now my charge once again. He tilted his head. As are you, Mr. Crosshair, he noted lightly, reveling just a bit in the suspicious and irate narrowing of the man's eyes. If necessary, the vows I make to my charges dictate that I will exchange my own life for theirs. There was something powerful within the air, and he didn't doubt that Crosshair could feel it too as he leaned in, the whistling song swelling as he faced down the old man in no uncertain terms. Mock me if you will, Mr. Crosshair, he hissed lowly, wings rustling within him with the resonance of the song. But do not for a second think that I do not take my duties to my charges very seriously. I safeguarded Zariah in her flight out of a living nightmare once before, successfully, I might add. And I will do so once again. No insult or dismissal of yours will change that past nor that near future. He narrowed his eyes as he let a cold smile take over his face, feeling only a little sympathetic as he said the next sentence. Frankly speaking, you couldn't stop me from safeguarding my charges if you tried. Crosshair stared him down for a long moment, Luke meeting his stare evenly, before finally nodding once. That, kid, he rumbled, is the first damn thing you said. I can respect, aside from your good taste in machines. How pleasant for you, Luke returned idly, not relaxing his narrow glare in the slightest. Unfortunately, you still haven't proven yourself to be someone whose opinion I care about in the slightest, so I'll have to take a rain check on reacting with appropriate pride and gratitude to that statement. Crosshair suddenly grinned wide and for the first time Luke felt some approval seep through the perpetual haze of irritable anger that shrouded the man. And that would be the second thing. He tapped his cane against the floor and turned to hobble back to the operator's seat. Get your kids and get them seated, the old ring called out over his shoulder, much louder now that he was no longer attempting to keep the conversation quiet. Zariah will know how. That I do, she agreed clapping her hands together as she took over the operation from where she had been distracting his charges for a moment. Nearly dancing over to the center two cars in the train, she pulled a large, partially detached part of the relief out and to the side, revealing it to be the release handle of the door that promptly slid open. Everyone in the coops, she called with a grin, producing a small flute. We'll be departing soon. Finally, and one step closer to this flight, hopefully, being concluded. They filed into the train car situated just after the locomotive crosshair was occupying, one after the other, and soon enough the door slid shut behind them with a bang as Zariah gave one last mighty tug on it. The coupe they found themselves in seemed to have something of a foyer inside it that connected to the main space within the car through a glass sliding door, and thankfully his charges had already moved towards the space without needing to be directed, or the foyer area would have gotten very cramped in a very short time. Slipping through the glass door himself with Zariah in tow, 
He found that the inside of the cabin was filled with rows upon rows of synth-leather-covered benches arranged in small four-by-four booths by having a pair of benches face each other, with a table extending out from the wall between each. Lakmir and Valmora had claimed their own little area immediately left to the entrance, and by the time Luke entered, they were already engaged in a deep, private conversation. Corey and Quinn had apparently claimed another seating area, which neither looked to be too happy about, oddly enough, but they didn't move to another, or, strangely enough, leave much room for someone to join them. It left Tyrion and Zev to claim the seating space directly to the right, and with a quick grin exchanged with Zev, he knew it was welcome. Slipping into the booth, he almost expected Zariah to join them, but she immediately passed them by, and glancing over his shoulder, he was surprised to see Quinn beckon her over with a cheery wave and a wink, something which oddly enough seemed to spark more annoyance than Luke thought the potential snub really warranted in Zev as he glared at his friend. He didn't get much time to think about it, though, as a loud, shrill whistle sounded from outside, and the train jolted with an almighty heave. The scenery from outside began to move, and the speaker system above the door crackled to life with the voice of a familiar, cantankerous old Rin. "'This is the ride from Red Stones to City Center, folks,' Crosshair announced over the speakers. "'No other stops, no fancy maneuvers, no delays. Kick back.' Enjoy the lovely scenery outside of absolutely nothing at fucking all, and don't murder each other before we arrive. I don't want to have to scrub the upholstery again. With that blunt announcement out of the way, Crosshair promptly cut the audio, and Luke was left shaking his head while he leaned back against the seat, watching the landscape outside slowly start to speed by as the train left the station, the quiet conversation of his companions all around him. Two trains in less than twenty-four hours, both used to transport his charges through their flight, and he was half-flying by the seat of his pants in both instances since he was in a foreign fucking city. A couple things were still different this time around, though. They were no longer being actively pursued as far as he could tell, which was always nice. They had no fresh injuries that needed to be taken care of as far as he knew, though he would be checking in again shortly anyway, and their disguises were far more solid than they had ever been aboard the train. And, miracle above miracle, they had found staunch allies within this strange new place, and with it, a wealth of resources to use. More than he ever could have anticipated. They weren't out of the heat yet, but suns and sand was it looking better for them than he ever could have thought it would. He closed his eyes for just a moment, feeling the presences of his charges around them, happy and content as they mingled and chatted without fear or haste, the warmth of their presence within his wings lulling them into a doze. He'd return to his duties soon enough, run the medical and mental checks on his charges, patrol the train, distribute some of what little food and water he had left on him, all that stuff. But for just a moment, he let himself soak in the atmosphere within the train of all his charges being safe and sound, and the soft whispering song in the back of his mind. They weren't out of the heat yet, but they'd found their feet, and were starting to run again, soon to fly. They'd be all right. The text of this story is available on AO3. Theme music written by Jackdaw Cry, Sputnik, and Sam Gabriel. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch with me using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you will consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server 
where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.